Hey, good morning. I'm going to pick on him later. That's why I saw him already this morning. How's everybody this morning? It's good to see you. It's always a privilege of being with you. Always a privilege of uh, opening up God's Word uh, to you and with you and, and being a part of this body. Um, I encourage you, like I always do, just continue to pray for the service. You know what kind of task it is to stand up here and open up God's Word? Man, oh man. Uh, this, the fact that he chooses to use broken vessels, Vicky can say, uh, hey, she's a mess. I know her. I wish I was that messy. I'd be a step up for me. Um, but the reality is my life as well. With that in mind, because we are messes, let me ask you a question. When's the last time you went to the doctor? When's the last time you had a really good physical? I'm not talking about one of those quick ones you get at the, like, the clinics you're in and out. I'm talking about where they really give you and they take your time, their time and they're going to check out and make sure how are you doing. Maybe it's kind of a baseline. Uh, they're going to go through a battery of tests. The body has like 12 systems in it. Um, they're going to kind of examine each one, things like the circulatory system, the neurological system, the digestive system. And what do we know about those systems? How many do you have to have functioning properly to be healthy? All of them, right? I mean, you can't go there and say, hey, doc, good news. Like, I got like nine out of 12. I mean, you're in the Hall of Fame if you bat that well in baseball. But when health comes to it, when we talk about wholeness, talking about trying to especially be healthy, we want to make sure that all of them are in line, that all of them are, are healthy, not just one. We've got some amazing doctors here. I, I love hearing story after story about how God uses the medical staff, the doctors, and the nurses uh, to be a blessing to our community. And if you're here and you're in the medical staff, let me just say thank you. I, I just can't tell you how many stories I've heard about people in need that show up and all of a sudden your face is there and you're there administering love and care for others. It just warms my heart. Um, one of our own doctors I pointed out, Dr. Middleton, uh, he not only is a, a great uh, pediatrician, he also is an amazing teacher. Uh, if you've been around Orangewood, hopefully you've been blessed by his teaching. Uh, he and Dr. Grow uh, did a series through our church where we look at the, the church, the body of Christ, and, and the systems of the church and see if they're healthy. And the one thing that Dr. Middleton says is that you cannot, listen, you cannot examine a fully clothed body. Okay? Well, today is kind of like an exam for the church. Uh, today, as we continue our, our, our series on wholeness, uh, today will be a, an exam, if you will. We'll look to, to God's Word. We'll ask the great physician himself to come and to examine us and to see how we're doing and to check these systems. Now, there's a really good news. We will stay fully clothed uh, for this evaluation. And so, thank the Lord, yes, we're, we're, we're crazy, we're not that wacko, alright, so uh, we're going to stay there, but we're going to ask God to not, uh, to unveil us spiritually, that's what we're going to ask, to say, God, come and would you show us the truth about who we are? Because I'm convinced that, that wholeness is not just an individual pursuit, that God cares about us as a church and how we're doing, um, and so this might seem painful at times, and, and let me just encourage us to uh, continue to look to Christ. We're going to look to six systems, if you will. We're going to unveil six key things that come out of God's Word. If you have a bulletin, you'll see those points uh, will be listed in your bulletin. I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. After each point, 
I'm going to ask you to give us a rating from one to five, okay? A rating from one to five. I'm going to do the same. And so uh, you may want to think through this, pray through this, and say, you know, how are you doing individually? How are we doing corporately? When you walk into Orangewood, you'll see our motto, and it'll say, and we say it a lot here, around here, for Christ and his kingdom, it's not about us. And what a great reminder that Orangewood, we exist for something beyond ourselves. And so when we examine ourselves, it's not ultimately about us. It's ultimately about Jesus because we want to, as we sang earlier, have him be glorified in us. But it is about us in this sense. God can only be so glorified in this church if we're healthy. God will only use this church to bring glory to himself in this community if we're healthy. And so there's times like this Sunday that we're going to have to put ourselves under the microscope and say, how are we doing? God, we know that ultimately it's not about us, but if we're not a healthy place, then this won't be a place that you're going to send sinners to come and be a part of. If we're not a healthy place, we're not going to really make a difference to those around us. We're just going to kind of blend in. So God, would you come and would you make us healthy? By the way, I asked you to do a one to five scale for each one. I'm going to give you mine. Prayed about this. I thought about this uh, at the end, uh, after each point. I'm going to tell you where I think we are, and then we'll kind of wrap up and uh, talk about where we go from here. Hey, if you're a visitor here, I know what you're thinking. Oh, great. The pastor's got up, and he's talking about one or two things. Money, um, or he's talking about church and his church specifically. But if you're a visitor, listen, we're going to look at God's word. This is for you, too. And really, we got to look at this individually. So, so don't feel like you're interrupting a family discussion. Um, know that we love you. We're glad you're here. Here's what my hope is for many of you, if you are visiting with us, that as we wrestle through these things, as we're honest, that God's spirit will say, hey, this is your home. Jump in. You know, this place needs you. They're broken like you. Together we'll be a lot better. So uh, let me encourage you if you're visiting. Let's look to God's holy word, uh, Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 42 through 47. Now this is like the earliest early New Testament churches. Let me give you a little background to what's happening. The book of Acts is written, it's kind of like the second letter, if you will, that Luke wrote. Luke wrote uh, the Gospel of Luke to a guy named Theophilus, a lover or friend of God. And that first thing, the Gospel of Luke, was really all about Jesus' ministry here on earth. Why he came and how he rescued us and, and who he was about while he was on earth. Well, the, the uh, book of Acts is kind of his, his sequel, if you will. He's going to say, okay, now Jesus ascended to heaven. He's back with the Father but he's given us a mission. The mission goes on. And so he's going to tell us about how the early church came into existence, the New Testament church. He's going to talk about that in uh, Acts 1.8. He's going to say that the uh, Lord is ascended, but we are to wait for this Holy Spirit to come. And, and Acts 1.8 says when the Holy Spirit comes, that we will have power, that we'll have this dynamite of God that changed the world. That God is going to come and he wants us to be his witnesses. Interesting word there. The word is where we get the word martyrs. 
And so God is saying to us as his family says, hey, I'm going to give you a a part of who I am as God, the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit will come and he will come and give you power and you will be my martyrs, if you will. You will be my witnesses. And we're going to start in Jerusalem. That's the center hub. Then we're going to go to Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so the book of Acts is really laid out just that way. You see, what happens in Acts 2 is Pentecost comes, this, this promised Holy Spirit. Amazingly, you could read about that in the Old Testament. The prophet Joel said, in these times, these end times, the, the Holy Spirit will come and, and come with power on all of God's children. They'll do amazing things. And in Acts 2, we see that Pentecost has happened. The Holy Spirit has come. Now the church is booming I mean, they had 3,000 converts in one day. They baptized 3,000 people. And by the way, how do you baptize 3,000 people in one day? You sprinkle them. That's another point. We won't go there. All right. Just throw that in. Um, Especially if you've been to Jerusalem, you know that. Uh, So anyway, uh, the Holy Spirit has come. The church is booming. Uh, Amazing things are happening. So now we're picking up the story in Acts 2. And now we know what's happened. It's Luke's writing this to us. He's telling us about the early church. And by the way, good news, we don't have to be them. Sometimes the church feels like, oh, if we did it the right way, we do it like the early church did it. They did it the right way. As a matter of fact, there's a fellow in Gainesville. Why are all... Gainesville seems to attract some interesting clergy, do they not? Um, Remember that guy who wanted to bird the Quran and stuff like that? Another, another fellow up in Gainesville has got a, a book out called Pagan Church, uh, Pagan Christianity, excuse me, and basically says that are we doing it all wrong, uh, that we got to go back. We got to go back and do it just like they did it. But we can't, because we're going to see that the way they did it is they had a temple. There's no more temple. The reality is, Church of God, listen very cl- carefully, God has given us His Word. It's without error. Uh, he's going to instruct us how He wants us to live. It's amazing. But he wants us to live this way, ready for this, in this time for his glory right now. He doesn't want us to live in yesterday's grace, yesterday's time. He wants us to be the church today. So here's the thing we got to do. We got to figure out through the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of his word, through wrestling with one another. What does this look like for us today? But there are some six things that we got to see that we can't miss. And so that's a kind of a long ended uh, Um, intro to where we are in Luke 2. We're going to pick up the story uh, in verse 42 through 47. Remember, a lot of things have happened right here in chapter 2. Wow, Pentecost, conversions, baptisms, life change, the church is exploding. And now we pick up what's happening with the believers in verse 42. God's holy word through the pen of Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And they, the church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came on every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. And they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple, together with breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having found favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those 
who are being saved. Let us pray. Father God, it is such a joy to see you, your Son, and your Spirit build Christ's church. And God, we thank you for this earliest of New Testament churches that had a very Jewish flavor to it, but that was completely yours. And Father, we thank you for the way that the Holy Spirit was making them your your martyrs, your, your witnesses. And God, they were your witnesses because the way they lived for you and the way they lived for each other and the way they loved you and the way they loved each other It was nothing other than radical. It was nothing other than sold out devotion and zeal. God, we can't go back. We can't. Time just won't allow us to do that. And you haven't called us to go back. But you've called us through the power of the preached word and through the Holy Spirit's presence to pull forward that which is true, and to apply them right here, right now, to Orangewood. So Holy Spirit, would you be the good physician today? Would you be the one who who examines our hearts and examines this church? Because really it's your gaze, it's your eyes, it's your diagnosis that matters. And you do that through your people, and you do that through your preach word, and oh, am I humbled by that. So God, would you come, would you open up our ears to hear from Jesus, and would you shine in our minds so much that we understand what you have for us as your church. I know that there's some here that don't get it. There's some that are like, you know, what's up with this church? God, would you come, would you reveal that to us? God, would you, would you change our hearts Would you give us hearts of faith? And the areas we don't believe, would you help our unbelief? And God, if it's just about us, if we're just to be a holy huddle, we're no good. You called us to be something a whole lot more. A city on a hill, salt of the earth. So therefore, Holy Spirit, you got to empower our feet. we got to walk out of here changed. God, only you could do that. Would you come with just such tangible power that, that Orangewood is a healthier place? Because you met with us, and you're glorified in us, and you're changing us. We pray all this in Christ's powerful name. Amen. If you've been with us for the last couple weeks, you'll know that we're on this journey to wholeness. Uh, We're looking together as God's call and his word for us to be whole. Don't you long for it? Don't you long for wholeness? Uh, The first week, we looked at uh, the the, uh, actual posture of wholeness. Uh, We looked at the fact that God has called us to live our lives in Christ Jesus. You ready for this? With unveiled faces. That unbelievably that God would love sinners like us so much that Jesus Christ would come and he would remove the veil that exists between a holy God and sinful people like us. That now he's calling us, not just individually, but he's calling us together to live our lives with such authenticity with such truth reigning that we don't have to live behind a mask. We don't have to pretend to be something we're not. Remember, if we live our lives behind the mask, as uh, an elder in this church often says, that only the mask gets loved and only the mask gets known. 
Well, God wants us to live our lives with such unveiled faces before Him because of what Christ's blood has done for us, what Christ's righteousness has done for us, that we've been ushered into a holy God's presence, that we can see the glory of God in each other's unveiled faces. All the brokenness, all the things that we're still struggling with, that we can see Jesus uh, just this week, uh, a friend of mine said that uh, he was in a Bible study, more of a book study with some friends, and uh, there was a, a local physician there, uh, doesn't go to this church. Um, he says, you know, I'm such a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I mean, my, my life is so different. You know, there, there's some people who know me this way, and there's other people who know me that way, and you know, the family probably knows me the best, and I feel like such a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I think that that probably resonates with a lot of us. I mean, a lot of us will realize that there's a life that we're trying to project, uh, you know, that we want the world to see. And then there's the reality of what the mirror, or more importantly, what our soul tells us. And see, Christ Jesus came so we don't have to have this crazy split personality of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. That Jesus came not so that we could be Jesus, but we could be lovers of Jesus. Does that, that make sense? Okay, we got to move on. So that was kind of the posture. And not, listen, it's not just individual. He says together we got to do it. Together. We get this individual mindset that sometimes gets us off. And last week we looked at the pattern of wholeness. And the pattern of wholeness in the Bible is kind of, it's kind of unusual. It's kind of unique. It begins with blessedness, but it goes to brokenness. And blessedness only comes. If you're here and you're looking for a blessing, and you want a blessing today, and you want to live your life in fullness, listen, blessing only comes with knowing who Jesus really is. That's where the blessing is. That's where God's blessing is. I mean, not knowing him as good teacher, not knowing him as rabbi, not knowing him as one of many, but knowing him as the Christ, the anointed one, knowing him as Jesus, the son of the living God, knowing him as the second person of the, uh, of the, uh, uh, of the Trinity, knowing him as fully God, fully man. It's at that point, if you know who Jesus is, I don't care what's happening with your booking, your checking account. Your job may be in danger. Other things might be rattling in your life. But if you know Jesus... For who he really is, God says you are blessed. Rejoice, blessed. But then God shows us through the life of Peter that he blesses those who come to him and know him. And he usually does. The pattern is he breaks them. He takes our lives and our dreams and what we have. He says, die to them. If you want to really live, you got to die to them. You got to live to me. Live for me. I mean, how many here want to live the dream? How many here really want to live the dream? I mean, I want to live the dream, but what, but what dream are we living? Are we living the American dream? I mean, we, we grow up being told that there is a dream out there, an American dream that's going to bring us life, meaning, and success, that we're to live the dream. No, the dream that we live is what God's reality is for us. That God, on a daily, the pattern is that we show up every day in life and say, God, let me put to death my dreams and the reality of what I think should happen. And let me trust you enough to say, your life for me is what's blessed and best. Man, it's a hard thing to do. You want wholeness. Listen, you cannot arm wrestle God into your plan. You cannot wrestle Him to have him bow down to you and to me. Well, now today we have the practice of wholeness, the unveiling of the church. And again, rate them one through five. What is a, what is a church that is whole, an unveiled church? What does it look like? God has given us a picture. Let's see how we're doing. Unveiling the church requires this, unveiled devotion. First thing is unveiled devotion. The first thing it says in this passage is they devoted themselves. 
Devotion here in the Greek is really attaching to one, oneself. Attaching oneself to Christ and His bride. God is a jealous God. He doesn't want any other lovers in your life that are before Him. He wants no other pursuits that are beyond, above Him. No other passions that are above Him. No, no other loves. No other things in your life that should rival your devotion to your passion of Jesus and His church. A jealous God who says, all these things are idols. That's that first commandment. When He says, don't have idols, don't think of us making a wooden thing or a metal thing and bowing down to it. As Keller so rightly shows us in this Gospel of Life that we're going through in our equipping center, an idol is that which you've devoted your life to above God. You are to have an unveiled devotion for Christ and His kingdom. This week, I've had two people tell me they don't need the church. This week, I you know just just you know going through life this week, and people say, you know, I, I got a relationship with God, but you know, there's so many hypocrites there, and they're and they've done me wrong, and there was an experience in my past where they they really hurt me or or whatever. But I seem to do better apart from the church, and I got to tell you, it's baloney. God has not called us to an individual pursuit of Him. He's called us to a corporate pursuit. Listen, you cannot love Jesus without loving His bride. You cannot love Jesus without loving His bride. And I know we're broken and filthy, and there's a lot of things that, that are true about us. I mean, we are hypocritical at times, and we, we do the wrong things oftentimes. But Jesus loves His bride. You could come to me and say, Jeff, I, I really love you, but I, I, I'm not really crazy about your wife, Katie. I got permission to tell this story. <laughs> and you know, the truth is, as you know me, she's a whole lot easier to love than I am. But the truth is this, is you don't really love me if you don't love my bride. You don't know me. You don't love me. I mean, if you really love me, you're going to love her. You're going you're gonna to love what God's provided for me and her. And you, you, you know, if you really love me, you're going to love my family. If you really love someone, you love their kids. There's just something that happens. You, you, you love them. They're family. And yeah, they're goofy sometimes, and their kids may do stupid things. And you know what? They may not be your cup of tea all the time, but, but you love them. And so therefore, you love the bride. And therefore, you love the family. Now listen, this doesn't make sense. If you love Jesus, you got to love his bride. He loved us so much, he died for us. I mean, he's so crazy about us, he purifies us, and he makes us beautiful in his sight. And for us to live our lives saying, yeah, I love you, Jesus, but I don't really love your bride. Can't you hear him saying, you don't really love me? What's your unveiled devotion to the church? To what are you devoted to? I've watched your lives. They're like mine. You have many passions, many pursuits. You're devoted to many things. You know, I, I think the reality is it's just things that we're devoted to that get, just get in the way, don't they, oftentimes? I mean, I, I know your heart is probably a lot like mine. You're just, you're longing to know Him and love Him. But the reality is there's so many things to be devoted to these days. Are there not? I mean, you got to keep up. you got to get, you hate to have your kids fall behind in anything, in school, in sports, socially. I mean, you got to be devoted to your career, your life, your physically fit. you got to be devoted to so many things. God said, listen, devote yourself to me. 
devote yourself to my church. How are you doing on a scale of one to five? I give us about a three-five. Remember, it's not my judging, it's God's that ultimately matters, but I think there's a sense of Ephesus in us, uh, the church in Revelation. Have we lost our first love? I, I think of the church at Laodicea. The Laodicean church had so many blessings. They had so much wealth that they didn't think they really needed God. Even in the midst of disaster, this Laodicean church said to Rome, we don't need your resources, we got enough. We'll take care of ourselves after a natural disaster. You know what God says about them? He says that they became lukewarm. He said that lukewarmness, a lukewarm devotion to God and His church. You know what, you know what makes God want to do? It makes Him want to get sick. There's no worse feeling than throwing up, is there? I would rather have anything, 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 but to throw up, oh, And to think about ever having a life or a church that would cause God to have nausea. You know what it is? Lukewarm. Lukewarm. Yeah, yeah. It's Sunday. Should I go? I don't know. You know, what's what's your devotion? Okay. Unveiled worship. Uh, A couple things with unveiled worship. Let's talk a little bit about the posture of worship that we see. Uh, There's awe in their souls. Look at verse 43. Everyone had a sense of awe. Awe for who God is. I mean, when they sang indescribable, they were in awe of this indescribable God and His holiness. But they also have awe for what God has done. And listen, we cannot come to the story of Christ without awe. I mean, that should produce awe in us because why? We have a holy God who maintains His holiness and yet who loves sinners like us and who's merciful and who on the cross of Christ Jesus brings all of His holiness and justice and all of His mercy and love together right there at the cross. And it should fill us with awe that God never has to for one moment wink at our sins. He deals with all of them and never for one moment not show us love and compassion. We should be filled with awe for what God has done and is doing. It should make us all cross-eyed. We should live our our lives with cross-eyed awe and continually look at the cross. If you like the reference, I didn't come up with it myself. I love it. Um, Awe in our souls. We should have praise on our tongues. Verse 47, continually praising God. Scripture tells us that God inhabits our praise, that we're to enter into this gymnasium, this court, uh, with thanksgiving, with joy, with praise to sing. Uh, yesterday I was at Appenberry's and, and uh, looking at all the plants and all the colors and all the beauty, and I, and I just couldn't help but think, man, look at that plant. It's got yellow in it. It's got purple in it. I'm colorblind. I'm not sure if it has yellow and purple in it, but it was awesome, I'm telling you. And the next one next to it was equally as beautiful, and I couldn't not worship because all of creation sings of a God who is And those of us, by God's grace, who know who He really is, those of us who've been rescued, we should have a song on our lips, even with tears in our eyes. We should have joy in our hearts, verse 46. They had gladness. Joy, 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 down in our... Down in our... You want to know why? Because joy wins. Listen, this is not what it means. This is not what it means. No matter what happens in life, pretend that you're okay. Whatever happens in life, 
pretend that it's not hard and have joy. Choose joy. Look past the brokenness. Choose joy. No, because Scripture says there's a time to weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn. But joy. We got joy because, you ready to know this? Ready for this? God wins. Nothing separates us from his love. Nothing. Listen, nothing. Was yesterday not gorgeous? Was it, do we not live here because of days like yesterday? Was yesterday amazing? Were you outside yesterday? If you were not outside yesterday, shame on you. You're in some deep sin. I don't know how you are. I mean, yesterday was amazing. I mean, I, I was out and I had a chance to, to play tennis with Katie. It was just a beautiful day. And you know that yesterday I heard some really, really, really bad news uh, from a member of our church, uh, the Cardinellis. You guys know them? They, they, their mother-in-law, Jeff's mother-in-law, was diagnosed with maybe ovarian cancer. And it just hit me. I said, man, how can we have bad news on a day so beautiful? We live in a fallen world. I know that you've gotten bad news on days that seemingly were beautiful. And those are things that are hard, and we weep with them, we cry with them, we fight with them. But listen, listen. Joy wins. Joy wins. Because Jesus wins. Your life might be hurting. It might be broken. I mean, there are things that you can't fix. But listen, Jesus has fixed you and is fixing you if you are one of His. You will see Him face to face. Joy wins. Don't fake it. If it hurts, it hurts. But just know the fact that joy should never leave us because we know the reality of Christ is with us and nothing separates us from His love and His reality. Hallelujah! Luther says, smite, Lord, smite. Do what you got to do because I know you love me. I know I'm yours. We should have uh, uh, awe in our souls, praise in our tongues, joy in our hearts. We should have a gift in our hand. A gift in our hand that had generous hearts. I mean, they had uh, amazing, generous hearts and hands. We'll, we'll come back to that in a minute. So there's a posture of worship. What about the place of worship? The place was two things. They, they worshiped in the temple and they worshiped in their homes. Now, God is not calling us to go back to the temple. Here's the point of what he's trying to say. If you want to be whole as a church, you've got to have two things. You've got to have corporate worship. Don't forsake the assembling of the believers. Come together. Worship is an important thing that God has for us to do collectively. We should never forsake gathering together. But there's also another thing. Personal worship. In your homes. In your homes together. In your homes individually. Worshiping our great God. We need both to be healthy. How are you doing? Then the practice of worship. Here's how... God prescribes it. By the way, we cannot invent ways to worship God. We don't come to God this morning and say, how, you know, what, what do you guys all think of how we should worship God? Anybody have an idea how we should worship God? Anybody have any ideas what we should do? Listen, and we read the Bible and we realize that God has a way he wants to be worshipped because guess what? He's holy God. And any way you want to invent to worship is dangerous. You know, you bring strange fire to God's presence and you might get burned. And so we got to follow God's rule book. we got to follow his work. It's called the regulative principle, if you're a theologian. It's basically saying, God tells us how to worship him. And here's how we do it. We do it through prayer. The prayers. Uh, this is probably talking in actual prayer times. It has an article in front of it. The prayers. Uh, we, t- we, we do it through teaching. The apostles' teaching. Unveiled teaching. Teaching that is all about Jesus. i got a, a neighbor who's way smart. And I love hanging out with him. He's an uh, amazing guy. He just went up to, uh, um, what's, the, what's the hospital up in Washington, D.C. that's the Army Hospital? Walter Reed. What? Yeah, Walter Reed. He just went up there, and uh, thank you, Pam. Um, 
and to do some things up there. Um, a Jewish guy, we exchanged books together. An intellect went to Vanderbilt, really smart. I did not go to Vanderbilt. Um, I went to Florida Southern. You think they're about comparable? I think they probably are, you know. And, and we talk, and we talk about, hey, what you read lately? And he's giving me books, and I'm giving him books, and, and we're talking about life together. You know what he does? He's a storyteller. He's, a, he's, he's amused that I'm a storyteller. But the reality is, is his teaching and my teaching are completely different. It's not that I'm smarter, and it's not that I'm more eloquent. It's not any of those things. This is a great guy. It's because by God's grace, the veil of Christ has been removed, and I can understand and see Jesus for who he really is. And so when teaching that we have is all about Christ, the sacraments have to be here. We've got to properly administer the sacraments. Uh, they talk about the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper. Before that, there was baptism. That's the practice of worship. When it comes to worship, I want you to picture this image. We're the altar of God right here. We're God's altar. You know what he calls us? Living sacrifices. And all through the Bible, he says, prepare yourself for worship. Were there rules in the tabernacle? You bet you. Were there rules how you do things in the temple? You bet you. Now we are the temple. And he says, prepare your hearts and I will come and I will fill this place and I will fill you with my glory. If you follow me and you have these things. How are we doing on a scale of one to five in unveiled worship? I think we're doing pretty good. I'll give us a four or five. Um, I'm so grateful for Jack. He's down in Mexico today. Um, Let me encourage you. uh, Encourage him when you see him. Um, Maybe drop him a note. But the biggest question I have is, I I love when we gather for worship. God's spirit shows up. I really hope you feel it. I do. I love worshiping with you. How is your personal private worship? Is it only here? Is it only now? God has called you to adore him more than this. Unveiled preaching or teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Uh, we are in that great line if we preach Christ. If you're a place, a place that is going to preach Christ, then you will have unveiled preaching and teaching. It's not unveiled unless you show that Christ is the point of everything. That Jesus is the focal point of the Bible. I love what Jesus did at his resurrection. He showed up with a couple of friends who were, who were so disgruntled walking out of Jerusalem. And they couldn't believe it. They were on the road to Emmaus. They're thinking, oh man, we thought this Jesus guy was it. We, we kind of follow him. And Jesus appears and they don't quite see who he really is. And he starts to reveal to them. He starts to open up their hearts and their minds. They start burning in their hearts and minds. And guess what he does? He goes way back to the beginning. He goes way back to Moses and the law and the prophets. And he says, let me unveil this thing for you. This thing is all about Jesus. The Son of God had to suffer. He had to die. He had to be raised on the third day. It's the only way sins are forgiven. That's the only way that God's going to build his church. And they were like, wow, I get it. Why? Because the veil has been removed. Teaching is teaching without Jesus, but with Jesus is at the center fulcrum, then it's unveiled. I'm so grateful for the teachers God's raised up here, for an amazing pastoral staff, for an amazing uh, band of brothers and women's ministry, equipping centers. I mean, amazing lay teachers that we have, MCP filled with phenomenal teachers, OCS filled with phenomenal teachers pointing people to Christ. We got Dr. K here, for goodness sakes. The guy knew Moses personally and writes about him. It's amazing. (laughs) I mean, he's an amazing teacher, amazing man of God. It's, it's a, we are so blessed to have unveiled teaching. 
I'm not going to give a, a, I think that's too self-serving to give, uh, give, give, uh, give a uh, rating on that one. Uh, unveiled fellowship, but for others, uh, very high. Unveiled fellowship. They devoted themselves to fellowship. We cannot be healthy and whole without each other. Do we really believe that? We cannot be healthy and whole without each other. Christianity is not a solo event. It's a community endeavor. Christianity is not a solo flight. It's a community journey. What were they doing? They were together daily. They were together. They lived their lives together. They were in each other's home. And here's how you know if you're really in community, by the way. Because we could live our lives together, but here's how you know if you know if someone's really has this koinonia fellowship. Are they telling you the truth in love? Have you gotten to the place of fellowship with somebody in your life, a small group in your life, where they will be able to challenge you the way you're parenting, the way you're treating your spouse, the way you're living your life uh, with your job, the way you're living your singleness, or wherever you are in stage of life? Are you in that fellowship? Because they were doing life together. They were unified. It's interesting, they said this. They had all things in common. Now, you know, when I first read that, I said, of course they did. They were all alike. How do you not have all things in common? I mean, they were basically all supporting the Steelers. They all, all were voting Republican. They all had a certain, you know, no, they didn't. Look up, look, look at the beginning of Acts 2, around verses 5 through 8. Listen, you know what shows us? They were diverse. They were from all over the place. At Pentecost, the reason they thought they were all drunk is because they were speaking in each other's tongues and they understood each other. This was diverse. This is the reverse of Babel was happening. All those that God had scattered, He now is unifying the Gospel. They had all things in common because they had one thing in common, Christ. And Christ was so, so much burning in their hearts that all of their differences and all of the, the way their skin tone might have been different and the way they had different political affinities or whatever, they all faded away and what became common about them is Jesus. And oh, how I long for that here. That no matter what we do, we cheer for the Gators or the Seminoles or you, you vote Republican or Democrat or, or you, whatever you are, that we would have our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And that makes us brothers together. That makes us sisters. That we have Him, so we have one another. They were unified. They had Jesus. And you know what else? They were happy. They had glad hearts. You know how many disgruntled churches they are? What happens to a church sometimes? I think you lose Jesus, you lose a focus on Him, and all of a sudden you start complaining. You start thinking, man, the carpet's not right. I mean, this chair is uncomfortable. What's going on with the air conditioning? Who in the world's mixing the sound? It is way too loud. What is happening with Sunday school? Where the good teachers go? I mean, what is happening with the coffee? Have you tasted the coffee lately? It's terrible. Who's making that stuff? I mean, the water's tepid. If that's us, and it's not. But that's where the church can go. It loses focus on Jesus. Fellowship. I think that we have deep pockets of fellowship here. There's some of you that have been around here so much and you've seen so much, so much stuff. You've got orangewood residue all over you. And you've just been here through wars and you've been here through implosions and you've been here through pastors and staff and you're just not going away. You're kind of like a roach. You know, it's beautiful. Sorry. A beautiful roach. I love you. Some of you have such deep friendships here. I mean, it's amazing. Something will go wrong in your life and you're going to have a ton of people show up. And some of you are sitting here and you're so lonely. You're saying, man, you talk about family, there's nothing for me. I mean, gosh, I, I just love to break into this place. 
I think that there's real pockets of loneliness here. I'd give us about a 3-5 with fellowship. Unveiled compassion. Unbelievably, they began selling their property and their possessions to give and to share with those in need. How in the world can you have unveiled compassion? It's this. When you have unveiled identity. Now listen. When it comes around, it's deacon's time and they pass the, uh, the, the plate for the deacon's fund and equipping center class. If you got a couple extra dollars, doesn't it feel good to put that in? I mean, doesn't it feel good if you got a little extra bonus you can help somebody else out with? Do you know what these guys were doing? These guys and gals, they were selling their stuff. They were selling two things, their possessions and their property. I mean, there was someone who had need. They're like looking around thinking, okay, I don't have anything right now on me, but hey, listen, I got a piece of property I could sell. I could, I could take my collection of whatever and sell. I mean, can you imagine that kind of generosity when they're that much united? We're not going to sell anything. We're not going to give up anything if it's our identity, right? The only way that you are willing to, to give to that degree is when your identity is not in your stuff. And the only way you'll be able to give to that degree is when your security is not in your stuff. I mean, are you kidding me? Hey, honey, I just sold our, our, our retirement because I felt like there was someone else who needed it more. Well, that was our security. Honey, I, I, just, I just sold something that we were, we can't live here anymore. I, I, just, I just sold it. That was our identity. When the truth of the gospel pours over us like rain and the reality of who we are in Christ grips us so much that our identity is in Jesus not in our stuff. And our security is in Jesus, not in our stuff. It gives us amazing boldness to be able to say, sell it. Let's give it. I got to figure this out too. I mean, I I don't want you to think I'm selling things to give to the poor. Um, I I, I love giving uh, when I can. And I just think that there's what God's calling us to is where is our identity? Where is our security? I love the story. Well, the last time we did a capital campaign, there was a man who, who had collected milk bottles. He had about $10,000 worth of milk bottles. Why do you collect $10,000 worth of milk bottles? I don't know. He did. He sold them all. He gave it to some better cause. He said, hey, we're going to build an education building. Let's give. I'm so proud of our deacons. I love what they do. About $75,000 last year was given to those in need. Thank you for giving. Uh, they do a great job trying to figure out, making sure that it's going to good causes and they don't want to just give it to so it hurts. They want to make sure that they're doing their best to come alongside folks. But how are we doing? On a scale of one to five with unveiled generosity and compassion. I give us about a 4-0. I think the only reason it's not even higher is there's still some that need to step up. I love this church. I think it's an amazingly generous place. But God has called us to give and to tithe and and to be cheerful givers. Last one, unveiled evangelism. There's two models of evangelism from the New Testament. Two models that are very easy to see. There's Andrew and there's Philip. Andrew was a new believer. Uh, he heard about Jesus and he went and got his brother, a guy named Peter. He said, hey, I got, I got a guy you got to come meet. Man, this Jesus fellow, he's changed my life. I'm hearing things about this guy that are really amazing stuff. Let me bring him. So whoever you are here, you can be an Andrew evangelist. Because all you got to do is, ready for this, invite someone. I mean, basically say, come, come see what God's doing. And usually the best Andrew uh, uh, evangelists in our church are those who just came to our church and they're excited about our community. and Maybe they just came to Christ. When was the last time you invited someone to come? Statistics say people come to church. Why? Because they're invited. Invite somebody. 
Some of you know. I mean, don't, don't go. If they're, they're, they're plugged in at Northland or Summit, don't invite them. Just feel sorry for them. No, no, just kidding, just kidding. Um, but invite somebody. Tell them to come and, and be a part. The other part is Philip. Uh, Philip, we see, uh, uh, went and when a man, a eunuch, was uh, reading through Isaiah, he went and explained it, the passage to him and said, let me tell you about this Jesus. You know what you're reading? Let me tell you about Jesus. And for some of you, you should be Philip's. Some of you, you know about Jesus. You know, you've been here, you've been soaking it up, you've been learning. Are you passing it on? Evangelists. We have to live with unveiled faces to the world so that we find favor with them. Listen, we can't miss this. We've got to live with unveiled faces. We're not to be a holy huddle. We're not to be a, a snobby group. Our faith should be vibrant. Our faith should be authentic. You ready for this? Our faith should be winsome. I think the problem with the church oftentimes trying to evangelize is because we forget the fact that we're unveiled because of all that Jesus has done. We don't have to fake it. We don't have to be holier than thou. And listen, don't see your non-Christian friends just as projects. See them as image bearers who need Jesus. Love them. If they feel like a project, they're going to know it. I'm telling you. Uh, uh, listen, I want to invite you to church. Uh, my pastor told me to invite you to church. Can you come? Say, hey, I, I, you know, how do you do life without God? I don't know how you do it. You know, I, I just think you, God is giving you some amazing gifts. How do you do it without them? Can, can I invite you to church? Can we talk about this? I mean, love on them. That's all you got to do. Our faith should be contagious. It really should be. <laughs> By God's grace, we have the answer. You know what separates us from the world out there? God's grace. That's it. That's it. Listen, we have nothing to boast in. Nothing except for the grace of God in Jesus. If you don't have any non-Christian friends, it's not a good sign. It really isn't. It's not healthy. Get out there and rub shoulders with the world. You're salt and light. I'll put it under a bushel. On a scale of one to five, how do you think our unveiled evangelism is? I'll give us a 2.5. How did you do? How was the exam? Remember, when you get the exam back from the doctors, he says your cholesterol is bad. He doesn't want you to avoid everything else. He just wants you to work on the cholesterol. There's some things on there that you probably need to work on. Things holistically we need to look on. I I love where we are as a church. I think we're poised for growth. I think our our leadership is unified. Uh, I'm excited about our commitment to get a deeper community through small groups. I think we've just begun. Um, I really am excited, Orangewood. I mean, God's given us an amazing place here. He's given us a great location that no one knows where we are. Where are you guys, anyway? Look around. I mean, this is your family. Do you love her? Look around. This is Christ's bride. Do you love her? Look around. Are you devoted to her? I'm a dreamer, and oh, do I dream for what God has for us. What he has for us is transition. Um, Pam Thiel sitting up front uh, with uh, uh, daughter Kristen and Jake. Uh, Pam's been my assistant for eight years. She's retiring. I don't know how she can find something better than working for me every day, uh, but she is. Uh, Hallie Van Dyke uh, has been uh, promoted or demoted, depending how you see it. Um, uh, she's worked on our staff, and now she's sliding over and being more of my assistant. So let me say thanks to Pam. A lot of you guys have known her. Thank you so much, Pam. Thank you. Thank you, Pam. Thanks for all you do. Bring a lot of class to us and try to make me look good. That's almost an impossible job, but thank you very much. Classy lady. Um, Godly lady. Orangewood, we are changing 
into the image of God. But guess what never changes? Jesus. And oh, how he loves us. Listen. Picture this. Jesus right now in heaven at the Father's right side looking at this place, his bride. And oh, how he loves us. He sees us as beautiful because he's washed us. He sees us radiant because he's robed us. He sees us as his. He says, that's mine. Oh, do I love her. Live in light of that love. Be devoted to him. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for the church. Jesus, thank you that you're the head of this church. Thank you for the picture of the early church. And God, we, we, we put ourselves under a microscope today. We looked at how we're doing compared to that early church in Acts. Father, I thank you for the life that is here. I thank you that your, your spirit is here. This church is not dead in the water. This church has been a blessing to so many. This church has had a wonderful history. But God, we long for us to be more devoted to have unveiled worship and teaching and fellowship and giving and generosity and God just making us evangelists and more winsome to our community. Would you come with power and do that for us? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.